I am the greatest. Do you know who made that line famous? Yeah, Muhammad Ali, of course. Um, when you make a statement like that, you'd better be able to back it up, and he did. He won an Olympic gold medal in boxing. He went on to become the three-time heavyweight champion of the world. The first time he made that statement publicly, I am the greatest, was going into his first heavyweight title fight. He was going to fight Sonny Liston, uh, and he made that statement. Watch this. I am the greatest. Fifteen times I have told the clown what round he's going down, and this jump ain't no different. He'll fall in eight to prove that I'm great, and if he keeps talking jive, I'm going to cut it to five. I am the greatest. Yeah, and as you just saw, he went on to knock out Sonny Liston and become the heavyweight champion of the world, so he backed up what he said. Now, that was a bold assertion. And if you're going to make a statement like that, uh, if you don't back it up, you lose your credibility. So, for example, if I said to you, I'm going to win the Boston Marathon next year, you probably would laugh. Rightly so, I haven't even qualified for the Boston Marathon. But what if I went on and won it? it you probably wouldn't laugh at that point, would you? Um, some of the boldest assertions or statements ever made were made by Jesus. Those I am statements that he declared. Um, that's the series where I'm concluding that series today called I Am Jesus with some of those bold statements. Now, if you take some of his I am statements and just look at them at face value, they are arrogant, they are audacious, they are outlandish, unless they're true. And if they are true, they're the most beneficial and helpful thing that we can hear from him. They're statements we want to hear. So, for example, suppose you're out in the ocean and you're drowning and someone walks by on the beach and you yell, help, 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 and they say, I am a lifeguard. I can save you. You want them to make that statement, don't you? Well, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. What did he mean by that? Well, he, he meant that he could conquer death. He meant that we could conquer death if we trusted him. He meant that we could experience eternal life, that he is the one who could give us eternal life when we trusted him. Now, that statement, I am the resurrection of life, is not only bold, you could even say it's beyond bold. But if it's true, it's the most loving thing that he could say to us. We're going to look at a story this morning that I think is not only fascinating, but it's just packed full of significance. It's a life-changing story. It's a story that can give you hope, peace, and comfort. Now, the story is recorded in John. In fact, all of the I Am statements of Jesus are recorded in John. There were four books written specifically about Jesus' life that are in our Bible. They're in the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are those four books. That one I just mentioned, John, written by John, of course, is a little bit unique. The other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are pretty similar. The book of John, or the Gospel of John, as we call it, is actually unique in the way it's written. And uh, one thing that sets it apart is there are two sets of sevens. Okay, there are seven I Am statements by Jesus, 
And then there are seven miracles or signs, sometimes they're called. John structured his book around those two sets of seven, the I am's and the miracles or signs. And he even tells us this because he wanted us to know that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah. And then he says, and then once you know that, I want you to believe in him, to believe he he is who he said he was. What's interesting about the story we're going to look at today is that the statement, I am statement he gave, is then coupled with one of the miracles or signs that he did. So it's like we get a two for one. He makes the statement and then he backs it up with the miracle. And it is a jaw-dropping miracle. Um, you ever been in one of those situations where an event happened or something happened and to this day you can remember where you were or what you were doing or what was happening when you heard the news about what happened or this event. That's what happened with this one. People who were there or people who heard about the, one more, the story we're going to look at today, I think they talked about this for years to come. I remember July 20th, 1969. Some of you probably remember that as well. Um, it's when the first man walked on the moon. And I remember where I was, what I was doing when I saw that. We witnessed it on live TV. Now, our family went to a neighbor's house to watch that. And I'm not even sure I remember why. Maybe it's because we just had a little black and white TV, or I I don't even know if we had a TV at the time. But we went to the neighbor's house to watch it. And I remember watching him walk on the moon and thinking, wow, this is a big deal. But I think what really impressed me was it was like past my bedtime you know, I was like nine years old at the time, and it was like late on a Sunday night, 10, 30, 11 o'clock, and I remember thinking, this must be a really big deal because my mom and dad are letting me stay up way past my bedtime, which hardly ever happened. Well, this story we're going to look at today was one of those. It's one of those where people for years to come would talk about what they were doing or when they remember first hearing it. So uh, let's look at it. It's John chapter 11. I'll start reading um, from the beginning. And here's what it says. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, It happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now, it seems strange that Jesus wouldn't just immediately go and heal Lazarus. He was good friends with Mary, with Martha, and with Lazarus. He hung out with them at times. And yet he waited. In fact, John, whom we said wrote this, seems to make a point of the fact that Jesus waited. From the story, we're going to see that Jesus had a reason for waiting. But here's what you need to know. Mary and Martha didn't know why Jesus waited. They didn't understand that. Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but at the time, they didn't know that, so they were confused. Sometimes we don't always have the rest of the story in this life. In fact, I think as I get older, the more I'm beginning to think that more often than not, we don't have the rest of the story. Things happen in this life that are hard to understand, and we ask our why questions. 
You know, why does life seem hard at times? Why do I struggle with this challenge? Why did God allow that to happen? Why does my friend or family member have to deal with fill in the blank, maybe cancer? Why is someone's death so untimely? Often, we're simply in a position to have to trust God. But actually, there's no better position to be in because even though we don't know why things happen like they happen in life, Jesus provides us with hope and promise for the future and comfort in this life. And I really think that's one of the points of this story. So let's keep reading. Back to John 11. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said. He will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Did you notice that when Jesus arrived, Mary one of the two sisters stayed home. Maybe it's because she didn't want to see Jesus. I honestly think she was angry at him. But Mary's sister Martha goes, and Martha says to Jesus what Mary back home is thinking. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Remember, Jesus had waited several days before he came. Now, let's be honest, there are times where we feel that way as well. And it's okay to take your hard questions to God. He can handle them. But just remember, the Bible says His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not always our thoughts. So when you're struggling, when you're questioning, it's important to remember stories like this in the Bible that tell us that we can't always see the big picture in the moment. And sometimes we can't even make sense of it until eternity. Now once we see how this story ends, it all makes sense to us. But it did not to Mary and Martha at the time. And you can trust that God is writing your story too, whether you can make sense of it or not. Now, did you notice from what we read what Jesus claimed that outrageously bold assertion that he made. He said, I am the resurrection in the life. That's one of those seven I am statements. What does that mean? It means he has the power over life and death. And he says, if you believe in him, you'll live even after dying. So are you worried about your future? Are you worried about what's going to happen to you when you die? Are you concerned about the afterlife? How do you find peace and hope and comfort for the future? The answer is right here. It's in Jesus. It's in what he said. He said, I am the resurrection. I'm the life. Before we explain that further, though, um, let's stop for a moment and talk about Jesus' assertion, the fact that he says he is the resurrection and the life. As we said, this claim is really, really bold. It's basically as bold a claim as you can make. And if someone were to say that today, if someone were to declare that today, we would laugh at them, right? Unless you can back it up. 
have you ever heard of the name Zlatan Ibrahimovic? If you've heard of that name, it's because you follow soccer. He is one of the top soccer players in the world, originally from Sweden, and he currently plays for the LA Galaxy. And he has made some amazing goals in his career. Um, if you Google his name, up will pop a bunch of highlight films. If you're not familiar with him, watch this short video clip and you'll see some of these incredible goals. Yeah, in that one highlight, he makes so many moves that he fakes the camera out like two or three different times. Pretty amazing to watch some of those. Right there with his ability to score goals is his ability to talk about how good he is. Listen to some of his quotes. Here's one. I can't help but laugh at how perfect I am. <laughs> yeah, he, he actually said that. And there are many, many more. Like he said, I can play all 11 positions because I'm so good I can play anywhere. Or about one of his goals, he said, you can't coach brilliance like that. <laughs> when asked if he bought his girlfriend an engagement gift, he said, what do you mean? She got me. <laughs> and once he said, I don't think they can exchange the Eiffel Tower for my statue, but if they can, I will stay here in France. Yeah, when he came to Los Angeles to play, he took out a full-page ad in the Los Angeles Times. The page was entirely blank, except it had these words on it. It said, Dear Los Angeles, you're welcome. Look at this. Yeah, and honestly, there are many more statements that he's made. Just Google them and you'll find them if you want to see them. But you get the idea. And we laugh at some of those, um, or maybe you find them obnoxious. As good as he is, though, it's ludicrous to make some of those claims, isn't it? And I think he knows that. I think he's having fun. Let's hope anyway. So what about Jesus' claim that he is the resurrection in life? It's ludicrous unless he can back it up. He claims it. Can he do it? Because if he can, it's not crazy to say it. In fact, he has to say it because he is our hope. It's the most loving thing he could say. He is the way. If we're going to experience eternal life and it comes through him, he needs to tell us that. Or he needs to show us. And he's going to do that. So he claims to be the resurrection of life. He claims to have the power over life and death. But before we get to that part of the story, look what happens next. Back to John 11. When Jesus saw her weeping, and saw the other people wailing with her. A deep anger welled up inside of him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. You know, I've always been fascinated with the fact that Jesus cried, that he wept. As far as I know, it's one of the few, if not the only time we have that recorded in our Bible. Now, why did Jesus cry? I think it's because he saw the effect that suffering and death had on people, people who were his friends. He cried because he began to feel what Mary and Martha were feeling, sadness and grief. And that tells me something. When I am hurting, when I feel sad, when I'm grieving, when life gets me down, Jesus understands He's been there. He's felt the same thing. 
Think about how much that makes a difference. When you're going through a tough time, oftentimes you aren't necessarily, at least initially, even looking for answers. Sure, it would be nice to understand some things we don't understand. But what may help you more than anything isn't someone who can speak to our brain. It's someone who can speak to our heart. It's our heart that is aching. So if you're going through a divorce and someone says to you, I know what that's like. I went through one too. You want to get together and talk about it? You're ready. Or if someone says, man, I had a miscarriage too, and I was so sad about that. Let's talk. You're ready to open up your heart to that person. If someone says, when my son or daughter went off in a different direction than we had hoped, it was so hard. I'll pray for you. That's meaningful. Now, I'm not saying that someone who hasn't experienced what you've experienced can't help you or talk to you, but what I am saying is if someone has experienced what you've experienced, then you know they get it, and you can connect with them at a heart level. Jesus gets it when you're hurting, and that's why I think it's so important to understand this. His promises can be so meaningful to us when we're troubled. For example, he said in Matthew 11:28. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Now back to the story. I want you to see how this one ends. I'll start in verse 39. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, processed, said, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. If there was ever any claim about Jesus being the resurrection and the life, he pretty well answered it, didn't he? when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Can you imagine what it would have been like to have been there and to witness seeing someone raised from the dead? You know, I have to wonder, what were Mary and Martha thinking at this point? Like, is this happening? That's really Lazarus, isn't it? I mean, he's talking, he's walking, he's moving. Or did Jesus do what I think he just did? Who is this man? You know what I find interesting as you read through this is some of the details that John, who we said wrote this, chose to include. Like, he said that Lazarus had been dead for four days. I think he just wanted us to know that he was really dead. You know, like, he wasn't just asleep, he wasn't in a coma, no. He was dead, like smelly dead, you know. And he was wrapped in grave clothes and a head cloth which is how they prepared people for death at that time. But if you think about it, I don't know that Jesus was actually doing Lazarus any favors. Lazarus had to come back into our world, a world filled with sin and sickness and sorrow and death. When you die, if you're a follower of Jesus, his promise to you is that you'll spend eternity in heaven with God, a place where there is no more death or sorrow or crying, or pain. Now, that's a personal decision that each of us has to make. Do I want to accept who Jesus is, that he died on the cross to pay for my sins? Do I want to trust in him? Do I want to surrender to him? You know, 
Jesus really left us no middle ground. You can't remain neutral when he claims to be the resurrection and the life. In fact, you can't remain neutral on any of his seven I am statements. You know, as we looked at last week, he also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. To claim to be the resurrection and the life leaves no middle ground. Either he is, or he's a liar, or he's crazy. That claim is so bold, it's so audacious, that there's no straddling the fence. He, he just puts it out there, that, do you believe it or not? But when you accept it, when you invite Jesus into your life, the promises you have to claim are amazing, one of which is that when you die, you will live. That's what he said. The truth of Jesus being the resurrection and the life has so many amazing implications. And this account from John 11 leaves us with many principles we can hold on to. I want to share three of those with you. Here's the first. Because God's thoughts and ways are not my ways, I will not always understand why things happen like they do. Trust in Him. Now, because we know the rest of the story, because we know the rest of this story, we know why Jesus waited for several days before He went to Bethany. He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But again, Mary and Martha didn't know that at the time, and this left them questioning, if not disillusioned. Sure, it all made sense after the fact. It makes sense to us. He was going to raise their brother from the dead. And, you know, most of us have been there. We've asked, why do things happen like they happen? Sometimes you get answers in this life, and sometimes you have to know that the answers won't come until eternity. But this story is a clear indication that we can trust God in all our circumstances. This is what we read in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Next, because Jesus experienced grief, he understands when I feel sad or lost. Go to him. Now this is so significant. You know, as we said earlier, Jesus knows what it feels like to lose someone close to him, someone whom you dearly love. He understands grief. So go to him. He wants you to. One of my um, kind of go-to verses in the Bible um, when I'm struggling, is 1 Peter 5, 7, because it reminds me of this. It says, give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. That word give that we read there literally can mean to cast or to throw something. So are you hurting? Are you feeling alone, discouraged? You don't know where to turn? Throw it Jesus' way. He wants to hear from you. And finally, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, it gives me hope, comfort, and peace. Rest in Him. This life is not the end, no matter what happens. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the promise that you'll spend eternal life with Him in heaven, a place where there's no more death, sorrow, crying, or pain. As a pastor... I hear from and interact with people all the time. I mean, the truth is, life is hard. And 
we all do a pretty good job of showing the highlights of our life, don't we? Especially on social media. But the truth is, for many of us, life is a struggle much of the time with your job, with your health, with finances, with a child, with a friend, with a habit, with emotional issues, with a disappointment because you're not fulfilling your dreams. It can be hard. But you have something to look forward to when you die. Amazing promises for the future. Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. A crazy, far-fetched, audacious claim until you raise somebody from the dead. And you can trust and rest in that. I want you to read to you some of Jesus' words. This is John 5, 24. He says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Let's pray. God, how I thank you for the incredible hope and comfort and peace we find in the promises of Jesus. And thank you so much for this statement, I am the resurrection and the life, upon which we can build a foundation and build our lives on. My prayer for those who are struggling today, who are hurting today, is that they would be able to turn to you, Jesus, and to find someone who understands and someone who is there to give them hope and comfort. And thank you, Jesus, that you have given us hope beyond this life, that this life is not an end. And incredible hope, incredible promise for the future. We trust in you, and we rest in that today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.